We are in the second week this morning of our uh, <clears throat> Reason for God series in which we are talking about some of the most common objections that people have of our faith. And uh, last week we, we started this series uh, both in small groups and in the sermon by talking about the Bible, people's objections with the Bible. Is the Bible real? How, how Why can I trust the Bible? Is, isn't the Bible a myth? Hasn't science disproven the Bible? Right? We talked about, uh, we, we, last week we didn't talk about this, but those were, those were questions that we dealt with in the small groups. And, and P.S., another plug for small groups, there were some great discussions in small groups that I want you to be a part of. And so uh, that last week we kind of did a broad overview. What is Scripture? I gave you the, kind of the history of Scripture. Where did, where did this book come from? How do we receive this book? And then we talked just, about, just a, a little bit about the Word of God and, and hungering for the Word of God. This phrase that Jesus uses in, in Matthew 4 and that is in Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. This is the word of God, and so we, we, <clears throat> we submit ourselves to this word. We, we trust this word. We make it central to our lives, and we know that this book is sufficient for our lives. And so uh, I encourage you to, to, as people ask you questions about the Bible, don't be, don't be afraid to, to share Scripture with them. Don't be afraid to have these discussions. Today, we're going to be uh, tackling another issue, uh, which I think is probably... One of the core issues that people have with Christianity, uh, you may have heard the words uh, exclusive or uh, intolerant or divisive, right? We, we hear these words and it's uh, talked about our faith, and, and really it, it comes down to, to this objection. I'm going to read the objection this morning that we'll go over today and also in our small groups this week. People say that since there are so many ways to find God, Christianity is only one among many valid options. The other religions of the world have millions of adherents, producing much wisdom, character, and happiness. So Christians should not claim to have the best faith or the only faith. Here's the question this morning. How can you tell me that there is only one way to God? What about other religions? All religions are valid, right? Basically teach us the same thing. Lots of intelligent people differ from, a, from our Christian viewpoints, so, so I think it's arrogant if, to, to claim that we have the one true faith, right? Lots of, uh, lots of people who, what about the people who have never heard of Jesus? If there's only one way, what about those people, right? No one can really know which religion is true, right? We hear these questions. If you've, raise your hand if you've ever heard any of these questions. Good. I think this is probably, for me, out of all the questions that we're going to go through, this is probably the most consistent one that we're going to, to come up against. Who, who are you to say that, you're, that you are right and everyone else is wrong? How can you tell me that there's only one way to God? And again, you hear these words, this, this exclusivity of, of our Christian faith. Sometimes people label, label us intolerant of other religions. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, the interesting thing is that, that some of these objections don't only come from outside of our faith, right? There is, a, there is a pretty large and rapidly growing group of Christians who are buying into this, and they are saying, well, you know, God is, God is bigger than I know, and so maybe God has room for everyone else, right? Maybe, maybe God, is, is, God is big enough to do that. I don't, I don't want to limit God to, to just allowing in a certain group of people. There's, there's room in Scripture for everyone, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about this one in, in week six. I just want to put a plug for week six. <clears throat> week six is 
how can a, how can a good or how can God how can a loving God send good people to hell? That's that's week six topic. This is, we're going to get into that in week six a lot as well. We can't know God's plan, right? And so so maybe it's there and we just don't see it, right? People are are kind of leaving room for. Uh, <clears throat> For everyone else to get in as well, everyone else to, to find God on whatever path they have. And this, this objection, like I said, isn't just an objection from outside the church. There is a growing group inside the church who would give the same objection, that God does not call us to be exclusive. God calls us to be inclusive and loving. And so who are we to say, you're in and you're out? Who are you to say, who are we to be able to say, well, God is only going to allow a certain group of people in? And I'll be honest, I want to believe that. I would love to believe that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter which path you take, but God is there and he wants to let everybody in. I would love to believe that. One of my strengths is uh, includer. That's, that's my, one of, I think it's my number three strength is includer. I, I want as many people as can fit on the boat to get in the boat. Right? I, I, let's, let's all go together. Let's all do this. I want so badly to believe this, but it's just not in Scripture. It's just not there. Scripture is very clear in many, many different places, and we'll take a little bit of a tour again this morning uh, through Scripture, but Scripture is clear to us that there is one way to God. And there, there honestly is, is very little room for anything other than this one way to God. Let's go on a little tour this morning through Scripture, and I'll try and be as quick as I can as this, this part, but let's go to Acts chapter 4. We'll start in Acts chapter 4. Verse 12. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 12. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, on page 773. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This, this is pretty blunt here. Let me just read this to you. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let me read that again. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Flip over to the next book, Romans. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9. And we'll come back to this a little later as well. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and justify, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. starting at verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And here it talks a little bit about what how God feels about this. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the, 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 the man, God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom 
for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. There's, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and this is Jesus Christ. All right, again, this is pretty exclusive here. First John, First John chapter 5, <clears throat> starting at verse 11. Actually, we'll start at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony, verse 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Because oftentimes we read this and we think, well, uh, those who, who just don't know Christ, who don't, have never heard of him, they're like, this, this, is, this is for them, right? Matthew chapter 7 is speaking to two people, two, two really believers. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you turn your page to verse 21 and through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now this kind of throws a wrench into things, right? If there's, if there's more than one way, and these people know God and have, have the, the works to go along with it, and Jesus says, hey, well, I guess they don't know God. Or they, 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 they have the works to go along with God. And Jesus says, God says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. There's one way. One way. And you could, you could honestly make the argument this morning, and I could have picked a, out of a many different scriptures. John is just full of these scriptures who talk about Jesus as, as the way. right? And we'll go to one in a second. But but you could make the argument this morning, not only is Scripture clear that there is only one way, you can make the argument this morning that, that Scripture almost goes the other way from what people are trying to say and saying there are many, many ways to, to Scripture saying, look, there's one way, but this one way is not a very wide road. This one way is a hard road. This one way is a very narrow road, and not all will go through it. You can make the argument that not only does Scripture make the case for there only being one way to God through Jesus Christ, right? but there, there's, a, there's a narrow road to even get there. This is, this is what Scripture says. So like I said, I, I, I want to believe. I, I want to believe those who say, well, we're all on, on different paths leading to the same God. I, I want so badly for that to be true. But it's just not scriptural. That's just not there. All right, one more with me. Go to John chapter 14. It's on page 763 if you're in our pew Bibles. We're going to be here for a little bit. John chapter 14. Starting at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe, in me. believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse five Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I want you to read verse 6 again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of Jesus here. The words of Jesus saying, no one, no one is coming to the Father except through me. I want to unpack this passage a little bit. Verse 1, and, and, and he talks about Jesus. Jesus is really equating himself with God. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, I, am, I am also God, Jesus is saying. This is, this is me as well, right? And, and this is a claim that is made all over in the, in the book of John. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I, I and the Father are one. In, in chapter 8, Jesus calls himself, I am which in the Old Testament is, is a name that is given to God. God, God gives himself this name as, as uh, <clears throat> Moses is asking, well, who should I say sent me? And, and God just says, I am. I am who I am. I, I am the I am. And Jesus in, in John chapter 8, he, he names the I am. And Thomas in, in, in John chapter 20, he, after doubting everything, he says, he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus was not God, this would have been a perfect time for Jesus to be like, Thomas, you're missing, you're missing it a little bit here. You're missing this. I, I'm not God. God is God. I'm just a son. No. Jesus is God. Jesus makes the claim all throughout the book of John that he is God. And, and, and this, you believe in God, believe in me also. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. Now, there's some misunderstanding about this verse. In the King James Version, or, or in, in one of those versions, there it says, and my father's house are many mansions. It's a very misleading phrase. Because the, the word itself does not mean mansions. Right? I think we, sometimes we see heaven and we see like this, these world-class amenities that each and every one of us are going to have. And that's just not, that's just not, that's not what the scripture says. Now, other scriptures talk about streets of gold and all kinds of other stuff. And so there, there will be some of that, I'm sure. But this is literally talking about, this word is used as a noun only twice in the New Testament. And in both times, it's just talking about a dwelling. It's talking about a dwelling. In my Father's house, there are, there are many dwellings. Many places to dwell. Many places to be. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a dwelling for you. Which I think is it's just an amazing thing. Sometimes, like I said, we think of heaven and we think of this this great mansion and, and all these amenities that we're going to be having. And, and really the point is that we're going to be dwelling with Jesus. Amen. In my Father's house, there are many dwellings. I go to prepare a place for you. You're going to come and dwell with me. You're going to come and you're, you're going to, to be there with me. I think sometimes we, we have this kind of concept of heaven that just a little misleading. But the point is that we will be with Jesus. And he's saying, I'm preparing, I'm going to prepare this for you. What? Now, let me ask you this. What's the preparation? What is Jesus preparing? How is Jesus preparing? Remember, Jesus is, is going to his death. 
Jesus is about to die. Jesus, Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's, he's foreshadowing his death here. And, and then even before we get to 5 and 6, we, we realize that Jesus is, is not just a, a religious teacher teaching his disciples, this is what you need to do to get to heaven. Here's this list of rules to follow. Here's this list of things to do. I'm about to go. I'm about to die. Here's this list of things that you need to do to get to heaven. Jesus sets himself apart from every other religious leader in this way. All right, Thomas, Thomas in verse 5 says, says, how will we know? How will we know? How will we, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How am I going to know where you are going? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Again, this sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader in, in our known world. Right? You look at, look at Buddha. Rules and regulations. If you do this and you live the life right, you will find eternal happiness. Muhammad. If you obey the Quran, you will go to heaven. You will find life. Hinduism, if you do these certain things, then you will live eternally. And Jesus says, if you, you come to me. It's not about doing certain things. It's not about living a certain way, although it is in a sense. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot good deed your way into heaven. Now we are, as we come to, into a relationship with God, these works and these good deeds will come naturally as a tangible expression of this relationship. But what gets us there is this relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. David Platt, and I, I've, I don't remember which, we, we did his study, Follow Me, last year. Maybe that was two years ago. <laughs> And uh, I forget which one, but he, in one of his books, he talks about this story of him in Indonesia talking to these Hindu people, and they, they have this conversation that we're having this morning. Isn't there one, more than one way to God? And uh, they're, they're explaining to, to David, they say, you know what, we, we respect your path just as we respect all other paths. And David looks at me and says, let me just make sure I'm understanding what you're saying here. You're telling me that essentially God is on top of this mountain. And we as humans are on the bottom of this mountain. And as long as our path is going up towards God, we will all find God. And they look at him and they say, you got it. Yes. That's exactly what we're saying. That's exactly it. This is, what, this is what we're saying. There's not one path to God. All paths are relevant. All paths are good. All paths lead to the same place. We're all going to the top of the mountain. There is this God up here. And David just looks at me and says, let me ask you a question. What if the God from the top of the mountain came to the bottom of the mountain so he could lead the people at the bottom of the mountain up to the top of the mountain. And these Hindu people were saying, this, that, would be that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. This, would be, this is just, you know, that's unheard of. And he looks at him and says, this is the God of the Bible. This is, this is the gospel. 
that God himself comes down to earth and that we live eternally. We find God. We come to the Father through the Son who comes down to us. And in relationship with him, through faith in Jesus Christ, we come to the Father. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And this is, this is what our God did. I just want to talk about just, just one sentence this morning to, to, to talk about this, this question of are there, is there more than one way to God? And here's, here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you leave, I want you to hear this. I want you to remember this, that we can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to break down this sentence real quick. We can be restored to God. I want you to know this is the goal of the gospel, that we would be restored to God. God in Genesis 1 and 2 creates this, and 3 really, creates this perfect place for him to be in relationship with his people that he created, Adam and Eve. He walks in the cool of the garden with them in Genesis. This is just a beautiful picture of, of creation at its best, where it is supposed to be, that we are walking in the cool of the garden with God, our creator. This is the way it was supposed to be. Genesis 3 comes along, and Adam and Eve sin, and, and, and that, that relationship is broken. Now there is sin in the world. Now there is darkness in the world. Now there, there is no more this, this clear relationship that we can have because God is holy and we are not and we cannot be together except through one thing. There has to be a bridge to bridge the gap between this holy God and our unholy selves. And so the story of Scripture is God constantly trying to restore this relationship, bringing his people back to himself. Yeah, one of the, I think, the richest arguments again, uh, for, like, uh, for everyone leading to the same path is this. God, God's more creative than that. Right? God, is more, God could create all kinds of different paths. God is more creative than that. And I just want to just talk about a creative God. Let's talk through the story of Scripture real quick. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. So what happens? God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, through you, I'm going to restore everything. God comes to Noah, through you, I'm going to restore everything. God comes to Moses and says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get my people out. I want to be restored to my people. Right? This is the story of the Old Testament. Right? God is constantly, the people are always leaving God and God is constantly creating a way for those people to come back to him. We have the most creative God in the world. Like This is, this is a creative God. I'm, I'm convinced that if there were a thousand ways to God, people would want a thousand and one. Right? This is just the way we are. This is the way we are. But we have a creative God who, who is very creative in the way that he is, is looking for restoration with his people. Right? You read the Old Testament and all these stories of, of people walking away from God. It doesn't matter. The Egyptians, the, the Israelites come out of Egypt. Like I said last week, it took them two months and 13 days to, to start questioning God. Right, so God brings them in, and then God leads them to the promised land. Right, we, have, we have all these, all these different examples of how God is creative in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament. God sends his own son to come and to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, to defeat the enemy that we could not defeat, death itself, sin itself, so that we might have eternity with him. 
Talk about a creative God, a creative solution to this problem. And, and we, this, this is the goal. The goal of the gospel is restoration with God. And we can be restored to God. We can have this only through faith in Jesus Christ. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I read five or six scriptures this morning that talk pretty plainly that that is, that is what scripture says. We can come to faith only, we can come to restoration with God only through faith in Jesus Christ. What does this, what does this faith in Jesus entail? How can we have this discussion with people who, who are asking the same question? Well, John, in, in Mark chapter 1, and this again is in more places than this in Scripture. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here's what he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. This is the message of Jesus Christ coming into to a new place. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is the way to God. This is the way in which Jesus comes and proclaims <clears throat> the kingdom of God is near. The restoration of all things is near. This is how you can be restored to God. Repent and believe. Now what does it mean to, what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent, to, to walk away from our sins? We turn from our sins, we turn from ourselves. I love this C.S. Lewis quote on repentance. Here's what he says. We don't come as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms. I'm going to say this again. I want you to get this. This is repentance right here. We don't come as bad people trying to be good people. We come as rebels laying down our arms. We come as rebels, laying down our arms. Repenting is, is really dying to ourselves, dying to our selfish desires. The essence of, of sin is really ourselves. It's the reordering of things so that we are at the center of everything. We're the, the natural order, if you will, that God created for us, is that God would be at the center of things. And so repentance is literally being able to say, I, I don't want to be at the center anymore, God. This isn't about me. This is about you. And so take my life. Take my sin. Take all that I am. And may I be centered around you. May you be the center of my life. May you be the leader of my life. May I follow you with everything. I, I, I have rebelled against you for too long. I'm laying down my arms. I want to follow you. I need you. May you be the center. This is what repentance is all about, and believe. We trust in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Go back to Romans chapter 10 with me. I know we're jumping around a lot this morning. I apologize, but <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, we read this a little earlier. Starting at verse 9 again. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and believe. Repent and believe, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. If you declare with your mouth, verse 9, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think there's kind of two distinctions here, right, in this, in this talking about believing. There, there is this believing in Jesus, believing. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this, this is... This is essential to, to being saved. This is essential to your belief. Right, but I can tell you, as I've told you many times before, that this is not enough. Right, believing in God is not enough. There, I go back to that Matthew 7 chapter. Right? Lord, didn't we, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all of this? And then Jesus looks at them and says, Depart from me, I never knew you, evildoers. And it's not just about believing the right things. It's not just about submitting to this, uh, this cognitive set of beliefs. It's about submitting to God as your Lord and Savior. Submitting to God as your Lord. Here's, here's the difference. Seeing Jesus as Savior is saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you can save me from my sins. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe in you. you are my Savior. I, I, I need you to save me from my sins. You are my Savior. But to call Jesus Lord is something entirely different. Having Jesus be Lord over your life means that you are going to, to obey this Jesus. You're going to listen to his commands. That You are going to, to trust in him to lead your life and to direct your life. This is what it really means to believe. That if, you, if you believe and you can say Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. Did you know in the book of Acts the word Savior is used twice? The word Lord is used 92 times. Jesus as Lord. It's such an important thing in the life of a believer. And then this initial moment of faith is going to lead to an inevitable growth in faith over time. Right? No one expects, no one expects that when you come to faith, you are automatically 100% all there. I know everything. I believe everything. I, I'm just like perfect right now. I don't have any questions. No. Right? When, you, when you have this moment of repentance and you have this moment of believing that God is who he says he is, that he can, he can do the things he says he will do, and I want to give my life to this God, when you have this moment, there has to be growth over time. You haven't arrived at this moment. You don't have to stop trying at this moment. Inevitably, this, this, this decision that you make will cause you to hunger for more and want more, and it causes you to grow over time. We can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, like I said, I... I want to believe. I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what you believe. We're all going to the same place. I would love to be able to tell you that your, your Hindu friends and your Muslim friends and all, of, all these people with other faiths who, who don't know and who don't call on the name of Jesus will be saved. I, I just, I can't make that case scripturally. 
We can be restored to God only through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm excited for small groups this week as we dive into some of these harder questions of this. Because it doesn't stop there. Right? That's just kind of the beginning of it. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I, I, I'm excited to dig deeper in small groups this week. And I pray that you'll be involved in one. I pray that you'll continue this conversation with people. But I know that you've heard this question. How can you tell me there's only one way to God? Look at all these other people who believe different things. They're good people. They're smart people. They're not, they're not stupid. They know what, they're, they, know what they believe. They, they, they really rationally believe what they believe. How can you sit here and tell me that their rational belief is wrong, but your rational belief is right? Like I said, the word I covered broadly this morning. There, this is a deeper topic and a deeper subject than we could go through in one Sunday morning. But I pray that you'll think about it. And I pray that as people ask you this question, you can, you can dialogue with them and have this discussion with them and hear them out and hear where they're coming from. But know that we can only be restored to God, which is the goal of the gospel, to be restored to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. And we, we come to you this morning as, <clears throat> as people who have said and, and if we haven't God, I pray that we will someday say, God, you are our God. You are not only our Savior. We believe that you saved us from our sins, but God, you are our Lord. We follow you. We need you in our lives. We need you to direct us and to guide us. We, we need this, God. We know that we can only be restored to you through faith in Jesus Christ. God, help us this week as if we have people who come and and are curious about this, help us to, to dialogue with them in a, in a respectful way. Help us to dialogue with them in a very real way. Help us to be able to hear their concerns and their questions and to be able to, to have an intelligent discussion about this, God. We, we love you, and we want everyone else to love you. God, Scripture says at one point that every knee will bow and that every tongue would confess that you are Lord. God, may we speed that coming through our lives, through our witness. God, we love you, and we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? And we just receive this blessing as we go. And again, before I do this, I, I, just in a couple minutes, we're going to meet up here at the altar and, and uh, do some anointing. So I encourage you to stay if you can. If not, totally fine. May the God of, of love and grace and peace, may the God who sent his son to die for you that you might have eternal life, may this same God go ahead of you, go with you, be in your conversations this week. May he be in your mind this week as you even think about this topic and may you make a difference in your community around the world. Go in peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen.